Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And my name is Jordan. As has been the norm the past few weeks, no announcements. We'll be jumping into chapter 1021, then later chapters 274 to 286. Here we go. A biggin' this time round. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a builder. Uh, but Quite the so. opposite of a biggin' is the fun little friends on the front cover. You have no evidence to indicate that somehow Leo and that frog and the rest of them have not grown to normal human size, and these are just really big hydrangeas. You got me there. (laughs) I can't argue with that. You put me in a corner. Case closed. But yeah, they're being cute. I assume that it is the frog and Leo doing the seeking, and they're just really bad at it. Everyone else is like tucked into the flowers a little bit. I think that the frog is mocking Leo. Hmm. I think Leo is the only searcher here. And everyone else is kind of goofing around with him. Poor Leo. If only his weird stitching power somehow helped him perceive people right behind him. But alas, this man needs to unlock his observation hockey. Yeah, you know he can't turn around. (laughs) I'm sure it's rough, but I wish he could. Takes us into the chapter proper, 1022, The Stars Take the Stage. Let's find out what that means, shall we? Uh, I think they mean this dude with the ball and chain in the first panel, and the pig man with many tattoos. Turns out, the mystery of the chapter was revealed immediately. Yeah, Oda loves to do that. (laughs) No doubt. Get a bit of narration to start us out here. A reminder that 30,000 Animal Kingdom pirates started off against 5,400 samurai, etc. But due to various circumstances, that number discrepancy has dwindled. And we get a uh, narrative confirmation that each of the enemy Toby Ropo are down. Then we get fun zoom-ins on three of them for some reason. We don't need to see Ulti again. I guess not. Yeah, and page one as well. I assume he's literally snapped in half, and that's why they didn't want to show us him. This is the most gruesome knockout picture of all. (laughs) Yes. But I suppose for the moment, this does put to rest any concerns people had that uh, those finishers on these three Toby Robo, at least, uh, Sasaki, Who's Who, and Black Maria, seems to be for good, at least for the time being. I would argue all five but yeah i hear what you're saying see it's weird that we just get three of them it is but you know the other two were taken out by big mom so i think that's just assumed to be final true and i think people myself included were more concerned about these three Mm. just because we never saw any aftermath with them just something about them felt potentially less final than the others they were slightly more open-ended than other battles we've seen yeah Mm-hmm. But it could turn out, I suppose, that they are awakened 
Zoan users, and maybe they will recover and join the fight in some smaller capacity later. Uh, but for now, they are down. I had not considered that, and I hope it does not happen. That's a scary <laughs> thought. Indeed. It would just be strange to me. I mean, these aren't like the highest ranking members of uh, Kaido's crew by any stretch. And the only other awakened guys we've seen have been the jailers of Impel Down, Doflamingo for some reason, and Katakuri. So apparently it's a fairly rare ability, but if Kaido's gathering Zoans, get the cream of the crop, dude. Well, doesn't... I, we, we have little evidence of this, but doesn't an awakened Zoan kind of, like, lose their mind a little bit? Like, they gain a lot of brawn, but lose some of their thinking power? Am I just assuming that, or is that has that been shown? I think that's an assumption. I don't remember specifically if that is brought up by Crocodile and Impel Down, and that's really the only description of it we've ever gotten. Okay. But um, judging from those couple examples we got, that does seem to be the case. Well, we didn't see them before they were awakened ever, did we? Correct. We've only ever seen them in their, like, beefed out, like, weird, awakened Zoan form. Yeah, so we just don't know enough. But it would be very strange to come out of unconsciousness and pull out a stronger move. Like, they should have just done it already. <laughs> True. But those fights did wrap up rather quickly. Maybe they were still saving their biggest stuff for later and then just got bopped sooner than expected. I don't know. Could be. Sure. Then we pop outside, following the floating island of Onidashima for a hot second. Apparently it only has 15 minutes remaining, give or take, before it actually arrives at the flower capital. Much sooner than I was expecting. Goodness me. I hope everyone's ready. Yep, no doubt somebody is prepped in the flower capital, uh, Toko probably, to just catch Onidashima when it falls and just toss it back to the sea. Easiest thing ever done. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. A literal child could do it. Uh, Luffy's getting pudgy, so that's a good sign for him being able to fight <laughs> again soon. After we check in with them for a brief second, we are back inside the castle going through a, another beginning to a fight. This one, Raizo versus a uh, earlobe guy, Fukurokuju. Yeah, I'm glad that you said his name because I always struggle with this one. There's just too many U's. <laughs> Indeed. It's a long one. Lots of syllables <laughs> going on there. It, it's a little fun. It almost feels like iambic. I don't, I mean, that. I don't think that works, but it's fun. Indeed. Uh, hopefully we don't have to say it again. Yeah. <laughs> Do not have confidence in my ability to pronounce it properly a second time. <laughs> uh, we're good. I'll just copy and paste what you already <laughs> said in the, in the edit. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, this dude throws out an homage to Joseph Joestar and <laughs> you, pulls out some clackers. He uses earlobes, which is highly efficient, yeah, right? I mean... It worked out for Joseph. It's working out for this guy. And I think this is just more evidence that uh, crackers are just the strongest weapon. I think so. Not sure if this is like a devil fruit related thing or like 
actual ninjutsu or what, but uh, please, it's working out for him. It's very weird, and also his mouth can open super wide when he's yelling at Rizo about being too emotional. He really, uh, he really makes sure he gets as much volume out of it as he can. I mean, when you've got just in general that much headspace, may as well uh, capitalize on what you got. I do think it's very silly, though, that not only did Rizo give himself away by speaking, he's also the only one of those clothes who is all of those clones that's all bandaged up. So I'm not sure who that is more embarrassing for, Rizo giving himself away like that, or uh, earlobe guy for needing that indicator. <laughs> it's a bad scene all around. Mm -hmm. Nobody comes out of it looking good. But Fukurakujo spats Rizo to the ground, gives him a brief tongue lashing about emotions and how he's a bad shinobi because of them. Rizo responds with how emotions and... Uh, Odin are cool, actually. And uh, in the end, states definitively that Lord Momonosuke will be Shogun. Feels good. I feel like this is some restating of stuff we've heard in the past, but you gotta say it sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's here now. I got distracted when I noticed that earlobe man's robe is just covered with uh, really basic bowling balls. Um... Would you look at that? So it is. <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's that's nothing, but I am going to have to bring it up. <laughs> I'm sure he's a fan. I'm sure they have bowling in Wano, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they've got uh, enough wildlife that I'm sure there's, you know, like some meerkats that are happy to be bowling pins and an armadillo that's glad to be a bowling ball. Exactly so. And with his weird earlobe situation, I'm sure he has more control over a bowling ball than your average schmuck. For sure. Yeah, he doesn't need any of his ninjutsu for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure he wins every game he participates in on bowling night with the uh, Oni Banchu, without a doubt. <laughs> uh, then we check in with the uh, fight between Killer and Hawkins, which apparently takes place on this same floor. Killer seems to be doing pretty well for himself. Appears to be tearing through Hawkins's lives without much issue. But uh, there's a problem. <laughs> there's a problem for this strategy of Killer's. Uh, seems as though at some point, Kid himself has been turned into one of his straw dolls. So if Killer goes in and kills him this time, Kid himself will die. That's no good. Uh-oh. It's not looking great for Killer, because that's, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place type deal. But mm -hmm. uh, it is really, I guess, convenient that Killer happened to ask, like, just in time, how many how many people are left in there right before he, uh, right before he carelessly completely took out his captain. Uh, I suppose... I would imagine that Hawkins, given an opportunity, uh, intended to just tell him anyway. But you're right, if he had just like gone straight in <laughs> right after doing this uh, this last slash, would have been bad. Yeah, Hawkins even brings up like he was thinking of not telling him. 
Which, you know, I, I really don't know which one would be worse. It's bad no matter what, that's for sure. But letting Killer just tear through and killing Kid would have put Hawkins at a disadvantage in the fight. Because now he has a bit of a defense that Killer would have just kept attacking otherwise. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt that this was the right move for Hawkins. I'm saying, like, for Killer... I don't know which would be, like, more psychologically damaging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. True, 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 true. I don't know how he gets out of this without taking him out. I doubt he's carrying, like, Sea Prism Stone or anything like that. I guess he could just knock out Hawkins, right? Uh, I guess so. I mean, the way his power seems to work is that he just passes off the damage, Right. So even if he took, like, a blow to the back of the head or whatever, wouldn't that just hit Kid instead and he'd just be fine? Is that what I am to understand? I don't know, man. That's That could be pretty crazy. Like, to take that to an extreme, he could pass along something, a disease, right? Have we seen that? Or, like, have we seen poison? Uh, nope. We've only seen a Kizaru laser blast, uh, killer slices, and, uh, I think Zoro slices from back in beginning of Wano as well. Only physical damage. And I guess law as well. True. Yes. So, like, I don't, I don't know how far that can go. Like, I would assume... <sighs> Yeah, it's really tough, because there would be... It, it would all be caused by, like, blunt force trauma, right? Like, I assume mm -hmm. a bruise. Like, if, if Luffy hit him, it would appear on, you know, Kid or whatever. Um, right. But, like, it wouldn't... It wouldn't send Kid flying backwards, would it? I assume not. I think the wounds just kind of appear. <laughs> they don't, like, cause any, like not back or anything like that as far as we've seen i think yeah i just don't i don't know if losing consciousness could be transferred that seems trickier to me because you would have to protect your own consciousness and it's not like he can protect his brain from rattling around if it gets hit solid enough you know mm-hmm mm-hmm I did see a comment on Twitter today that was like, oh, Killer can just go for whichever arm a Kid is missing, and he can just finish him off that way, because if he damages that arm, Kid does not have that same arm to be damaged. But uh, while that would be a good strategy to just deal a blow, I suppose, I don't think Hawkins would go down from just slicing his arm off, you know? I agree, I guess blood loss is a thing, not so much in the One Piece world. <laughs> right. They bring it up, you know, but usually at the end where it's like, ah, you've lost too much blood. Right. Practically in combat, it doesn't seem to matter all that much. <laughs> right, exactly. So like, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Good hit, not a killer move. Right. Killer, though, doesn't seem all that worried about it. I mean, I know the, the laughing is being forced upon him by the smile fruit he ate, but he even says, I like your style, instead of, oh no, 
or something to that effect. The man's crazy. I'm sure he'll sort out something. He has to, right? Like, right. <laughs> there's no other option. I don't. I don't see kid dying here. Exactly. That takes us into what I suppose is the main event of this chapter. We're back on the live floor in the Skull Dome. Queen and King causing a ruckus, seemingly going after the gifters for, you know, being dirty mind control traitors. How dare they? Find out that uh, Marco's down. That's no good. He's been fighting two of the biggest dudes for quite some time, so... Mm -hmm. It was bound to happen. But also, he's a phoenix, so, like, he'll be back. <laughs> I guess so. I imagine the damage has just been being dealt faster than he can regenerate it. Or maybe it's just not infinite. Well, he's been he's been helping other people out for quite some time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, if there is a threshold, I could see him hitting that uh, pretty easily in that situation. If I recall correctly, he was getting pretty tuckered out like chapters and chapters ago uh, when he was still trying to prevent people from being transformed into the Ice Oni. Shortly after that, Sanji took Queen away from him as a primary issue, but I assume that he's been also dealing with King one-on-one -on -one since then. So uh, he's been putting in the work. No one can say that Marco did not do his fair share. Yeah, he's That's he's sure. holding up the banner of Whitebeard's crew very high. Quite so. Uh, we also find out here that apparently since Marco went down, Sanji here has also been trying to deal with both of them simultaneously. Not doing so great, but uh, I suppose also not doing so poorly that he felt the need to put on the raid suit. I just feel like he doesn't want any association with that, especially while fighting Queen. You know, the man's been talking about his dad this whole time so if he were to rely on his tech like that that could be a failure in sanji's eyes for sure i suppose so um it seems a little silly when lives are on the line right like right. <laughs> probably should just you know go super saiyan and take him out type deal but pride is a thing that you gotta account for indeed Plus, I'm sure Queen has been throwing, like, goads at him, talking shit about his heritage and all that stuff, which is making it harder for him. But I'm sure it won't matter all that much anyway. I'm reasonably convinced Sanji's going to put it on by the time the Queen fight is done. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Seems that Chopper and Miyagi already gave Zoro the miracle injection somehow through all the bandages. They made it work. Um... But it hasn't taken effect yet, so they've been focusing on defending Zoro until the recovery can actually happen. Meanwhile, King is prioritizing not letting it happen and killing that guy before he becomes a problem. But you know, fair enough. Good plan. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah, exactly. Sanji throws another big old kick to Queen's neck zone. Feels good. He even says, ah, so damage dealt. Well done, Sanji. Proud of you. <laughs> yeah the man with the strongest shoes in the universe doing his job quite so uh if one of the movies is to be believed that's the only reason sanji can fight so oh boy what a mess <laughs> that's why we ignore those quite so 
Uh, we pop in and check in on Perosparrow for a little bit, who I assume has been chilling and doing nothing for a little bit, so that Sanji has forgotten about him. So that's pretty cool, I guess. I would imagine he's just been kind of biding his time since Sanji kicked Queen into him all those chapters ago, waiting for an opportunity to get a decisive blow in. Yeah, he, he wins no matter what. Like, he's got no reason to rush here. <laughs> pretty much. He aims what I assume is a hockey candy arrow at Sanji, but he is stopped by a large cat. Meow. <laughs> His bow looks so weird. Like, there's no tension on it. It's just a straight line. Like, I get that it's a devil fruit power and, you know, he can just control it to shoot it. But mm-hmm. to see a bow and arrow without the, like, curved bit, it's more like a crossbow almost. <laughs> Pretty much. The most delicious crossbow there ever was. Yeah. But uh, thank goodness for our big cat friend finally doing Pedro right. Indeed. He's been running for what feels like a bazillion chapters now. Finally made it to the fore, even with guidance, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Knocks that guy outside, pursues, and I suppose that is where that fight is going to take place primarily. He's got more to dish out, it seems. Indeed. I assume that uh, Carrot and Wanda are still out front where the initial fight with them versus Perospero took place. So maybe they will uh, get to participate in some way, even though they've been defeated. I'd like that for sure. I don't remember how bad off they were at the end of that fight. Obviously, they were down because they lost. But, you know, it's been half an hour since then maybe uh <laughs> they could they could get back up i'm pretty sure they will um i'm not well i don't know Perospero's power is pretty undefined as of now he's like the first son of big mom right so you would think him to be pretty dang buff but he's not one of their three sweet commanders but i assume he's roughly on par with like the main three guys He's kind of his own thing, isn't he? I guess so. I mean, yeah, he's not, like, in any specific, like, commanding group like Smoothie and Katakuri are. But as first son of Big Mom, I would imagine him to be pretty buff. I agree 100%. But, yeah, he's he's almost more like Big Mom's right-hand man. Well, I guess Katakuri also fits that role though Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because katakuri's arguably her biggest weapon right seems so Hmm. Hmm. yeah he's a weird one (laughs) Uh, i'm very ready for him to just be gone (laughs) i can't wait for gangster gastino to show back up and get his long-awaited grudge match against him for threatening to turn him into candy all those chapters ago i'm sure it'll happen Sure, yeah, I'll let anyone take it. That doesn't (laughs) matter to me. Pretty much. Back inside, though, uh, Miyagi, Chopper, Zoro, etc., trying to get Zoro away from the big threats. But, uh, tough. They've been cut off by the big man himself, King. Produces a little fireball. About to smack him with it. Doesn't work out for him, though. Marco to the rescue. He's got a little bit of gas left in the tank before passing the baton off to the next generation. 
Indeed. Just enough gas in that tank to drop a little bit of a lore bomb about Kane. How nice, Marco. Well, that's true. This is this is confirmation <laughs> of something that, uh, what, like Big Mom kind of hinted at as well? Indeed. Big Mom said just before their alliance was formed that I think there are two or three races in the world that she doesn't have any of in her kingdom of Totland. One of, of course, the giants. Um, and one of them, she says, is Cain's race. We get some details here from Marco. Apparently, there is a race of people atop the red wall. I assume he means the red line, but maybe the red wall is something different. A race of people that can burst in the flames. And he heavily hints that Cain is one of those people. This little bit about just them living on top of the, the red line got me just kind of thinking a little bit about why there aren't any more of them because we know that on top of the red line is where the celestial dragons live right and if i were a terrible group of human beings with a god complex i wouldn't want to share my uh spot of closest to the heavens with a group of firebending winged boys so maybe they wiped them out and that's why there are so few left. Just King, as far as we know. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Do we know for sure that they all have wings like King? No. <laughs> we only have this one to compare. Maybe they're just like accessories, but he doesn't have them when he transforms into a pterodon. They're probably a, you know, racial feature whatever you want to call it so maybe it was like a like an offshoot of like sky island people that just kind of settled there that's like the nearest land to a sky island so <laughs> i guess if i were to move and i was a sky islander that's where i would go convenient location i guess but what about the fire part a uh common ability of the sky people i am sure they're very close to the sun so it just made sense ah there it is <laughs> you didn't consider all the details here it seems i never do <laughs> quite but i'm sure we'll find out more about that i don't think this is going to be like a one and done type deal for king maybe during zoro's fight he'll just drop some more lore for some reason um Zoro probably won't inquire about them. He more than likely doesn't much care, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Marco's back fighting Queen and King again. They're about to throw some more fire and or lasers, but oh no, Marco's given up. <laughs> well, he said he's satisfied. That's That's a little different. But he also says, I give up. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He ends it on his own terms, though, and that's powerful. Yeah. It's not exactly a defeat. He just wants to let the stars, as he describes them, take it from there. And right on cue, Zoro bursts free of his bandaged tomb, shocking Miyagi, the deer chick, and Chopper. Marco says the iconic line that I'm sure is already iconic. It's time for the stars to take the stage. While Zoro and Sanji burst onto the scene with their upgraded versions of their original finishing moves. I'll note. Which I thought was very cool. 
That's true. That's a mm-hmm. nice throwback. Yeah, I like it a lot. Mm. Uh, the Onigiri was Zoro's original move that he used to take down a variety of uh, dudes in early East Blue. Sanji's first like big fight was against Karubi in our lawn park, and the Motan Mallet in the official translation is the movie used to take on that guy. And uh, they've upgraded those moves since then with fire and purgatory, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the element purgatory. <laughs> we all know it. Uh, I'm sure there's an Organization 13 member with that ability as well. Mm-hmm. And it's also going to be the next type they add to Pokemon in Gen 9. You just wait Confirmed. for her to hear first. But yep, they slam on into their respective foes. And uh, they're getting ready to fight. Sanji's leg is the most curved anyone's <laughs> leg has ever been. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more boomerangy than I'm used to. Quite so. You know, got to focus in on that fire. <laughs> Indeed. And his other leg is quite straight, so I guess it all balances out. It sure does. Uh, And then before the chapter ends, they have a brief little bit of banter. Zoro says, hey, once we win, and Sanji finishes his sentence, as all couples do, they're going to be able to finally see Luffy as the king of the pirates. A glimpse of it, at the very least. Finally setting the sage of the big confrontations we've been hoping to see on onigashima mm-hmm. feels true yeah yeah he's gonna be at the top for a few seconds i guess i don't know how long it'll actually last i feel like many people are gonna come out of the woodworks to try to topple him but uh it'll be cool for a bit for sure <laughs> indeed right before the shit hits the fan we'll be feeling good about that Mm-hmm. so do you think that we'll be jumping straight into this Sanji and Zoro versus King and Queen business before wrapping up like any of the like bazillion other fights we have to wrap up in this arc? I want to say it has to continue, but these are some big moves, so I could see this also being a cutting moment. Indeed. I also kind of feel like it'll be cut away from, because we have like 10 other fights that we have to do and like generally speaking the Sanji slash Zoro fights like immediately precede the big one with Luffy right yeah and Luffy's a long well not a long way but he's a ways from being in fighting form so indeed at the very least he has to make it back up there which will take some time at least I don't Mm -hmm. know how fast adult dragon Momonosuke will be able to move but the longer they wait, the further the island gets. But we still have to get through Rizo versus Earlobe guy, right? Yes. They started that this chapter. Inuarashi versus Jack is still happening. And that, at least, I think would be a little bit weird if, like, the third strongest commander of Kaido's crew was taken out after the big two, you know? <laughs> that would be weird. We haven't been directly told that there's, like, a power discrepancy between them, but... Just based off their naming convention, it does seem to be that way. We'll see what happens there, though. Necromamushi versus Parasparo. That also seems like one of the like less important <laughs> fights compared to the Sanji Zoro stuff. Um, we still have Killer versus Hawkins happening, 
as well as Drake versus Apu, which may or may not have been resolved. <laughs> Haven't seen either of those guys in like 30 chapters, it feels like. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, Kid and Law versus Big Mom still has to happen. Yeah. Another big one. <laughs> yeah. Still a lot going on. I think I counted six there. So, six decently sized battles at the very least. Indeed. Before this one. So, correct. I would imagine most of those things could probably be wrapped up in a chapter, right? Especially since they've already been set up already. Um, I would say probably could get two of them per chapter pretty comfortably. Uh, these are these are smaller maybe. fights in most cases, as we've said. Like, yeah. Well, I guess if you're if you're gonna bring Carrot and Wanda into the Parasparo fight, they probably deserve at least a full chapter just because it's so many characters. Right. And that's um, like an emotional battle too, because you know, right. the whole Pedro connection. Exactly. Yeah. And the Inuarashi versus Jack is kind of in a similar vein since Jack like tore up all of Zoe pretty much single handedly with the gas and such. Yeah, I um, that battle's gonna be weird because isn't Inuarashi in a really rough state still? Uh yep. They have been healed up to some extent, by that mystery person way back when. But that's it. Like, yeah. him going against Jack alone. Well, Jack's also not doing great, from what I remember. Indeed. He fought and lost to uh, Inuarashi and Nekamamushi in their uh, Sulon forms on yeah. the roof. Um, we'll see what happens there. But it would also be weird if we dedicated you know, an entire chapter, perhaps, to Neko versus Parasparo. And didn't do the same for Inuarashi. Since they're right. kind of like that, on the that same would feel pedestal. Weird. But I feel like Rizo and uh, Earlobe guy, um, <laughs> they I feel like that does not deserve a whole chapter unless they're going to be dropping lore bombs in there. Yeah, I don't much care about that fight. <laughs> so it's fine with me if they wrap that up like off screen for all I care. Sure. But I think no. more likely just like tossing that in. Like at the beginning of the next chapter or whatever. It seems to be the uh, the comedy relief fight. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's like your moment of levity in all of this pretty serious shit. Maybe Usopp will show up and just snipe uh, Earlobe Guy, and that'll be his fight of the arc. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> just one hot sauce star right in his big mouth and he's done. Yeah. There we go. I'm sure hot sauce is also pretty bad if you didn't in your ears. So there we go. <laughs> it all comes full circle. There it is. Killer versus Hawkins. That's hmm, maybe not a whole chapter, but like he's got to figure out like what he's going to do about that. It's a whole like psychological thing and like a mystery. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe slapping that in with Drake versus Apu made sense though, because they're all supernovas. That does seem fitting uh i was gonna say throwing that in with like part of the big mom fight because probably gonna be some flashes to kid getting some damage true true true, true. but no reason you couldn't have all three of those and then finish some of them in the next chapter but anyway this is <laughs> this is pointless speculation at this point i think <laughs> i suppose so these things will happen in the order that they happen and that is the basic conclusion that wraps up this chapter. It doesn't say, like, on the last page, like it usually does, mm. 
when the next chapter is specifically coming out. But it does say in seven days if you go to like the full chapters view. So I'm assuming there's no break next week. And I also read, I think on Twitter or Reddit or somewhere, that they think that there's not going to be a break for like four chapters, which I find pretty hard to believe, but neat if true, I suppose. Uh, but seems like there's going to be a new chapter next week on the 28th, so we'll be back to discuss it at that time. That takes us into the reread. Here we go. Picking up where we left off, uh, Enaru responds to the challenge laid before him by revealing his plan. Robin and Zoro are offered pretty much an all-expense-paid trip to Endless Farce with a mass-murdering maniac. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet deal. <laughs> yeah, but they do wonder, hey, what happens if we say no? Yeah, just to be surf, you know. <laughs> the answer turns out to be more lightning, which is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The expected answer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. It's not even multiple choice, really. Or if it is, it's all all lightning all the way down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this, this provides a pretty good distraction for Wiper to jump in with his move. I guess... They got really lucky that some sea prism stone got blasted up and also that they could recognize it. Um, I, I suppose that they could have traded with a previous person from the Blue Sea, but they, those seem to be pretty rare. So him having this just, yeah. I, I don't know, it doesn't sit perfectly with me. I would have liked to have gotten details of how it was acquired, but you mentioned some pretty good possibilities. It could have just been chilling on Shandia when it was blasted up. Uh, Shandia appears to have a pretty deep connection with the history of the world, so I can imagine a small source of sea prism being tucked away there somewhere. Maybe they traded with a uh, blue sea person that came, or they just like killed a dude and raided his stuff. <laughs> sure. Um, and stuff just gets shot up there sometimes by the knockout streams, right? Yeah, that's true. So any number of reasons. Yeah, and I'm sure it, uh, any one of those options also came with like written instructions about how it works as well. So yeah, so, that's the problem that's the part that gets me. Like to recognize it when, as we've pointed out, there's only like three, two, two or three devil fruit users up here. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, obviously they have a lot of history that's passed down, like, that. that is extremely apparent, but for this one specific thing to be a part of that feels like a bit of a stretch to me. Agreed. It doesn't work out for him anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, his his big move, the, the effects of that last about two pages when you don't count the flashback that happens in between them, and then Anru's just back up. Don't quite get that part either, personally. Uh, not sure how he can command lightning while knocked out. It's badass and scary, for sure. But uh, that that feels like it's beyond a lot of devil fruit powers. Maybe he just started doing it before he was actually unconscious. Maybe it wasn't like an immediate thing after he got hit by the, uh, by the rejet dial. But uh, yeah, aside from maybe that, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, but... some classic slow lightning. <laughs> Precisely. Um, 
But you're right, it does make him seem very scary and sure does drive that uh, unbeatable god point home. So after Nami figures out that the only way to survive is to go with Enaru, his arc maxim is actually revealed. And he says that he has like been storing an excess of power to fly the arc. But it's so big, man. Like, <laughs> I, hmm. his, the names of his moves have been like, whatever, 20 million volt and 2 million volt that, uh, which I don't know if that's just him, you know, estimating or throwing out fun <laughs> numbers or if it's a real thing. Indeed. Regardless, this is going to take so much energy to make this fly. Um. I was not expecting this to be the chunk where I really, like, dig in and nitpick <laughs> stuff, but uh, there's just a lot of weirdness going on here. Well, he's been building this thing for, like, a decade. So if, like, the first thing they built was, like, the energy supply, and he's been throwing lightning at it whenever he can for a decade, then I'm sure it can be built up. I don't think that. Oh, you think he's got, like, batteries in there? Uh, kinda, yeah. Okay. I hadn't considered batteries. I thought he was just kind of doing it himself. But, uh, sure. Why not? Because he's not, he's not always focusing or while he's fighting on the, on the arc, on providing power. He's, like, fighting with Luffy and doing all sorts of stuff. Well, yeah. He's not, like, touching the two globe things or whatever. Mm -hmm. But... There's no reason to argue about how the arc works, but, uh... No, we have to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> the dude can command lightning to fall from the sky and create, like, a 20-diameter hole from a mile, at least, away. Uh, I don't think he would have issue circulating power through this thing without, like, actually touching those globes. I thought those maybe were more for steering rather than putting the power in there. Um, it's a weird ship. That's the bottom line. <laughs> it's got a big weird face on it, and it's just, it's strange. Yeah, I bet carving that face is what took the majority of the ten years it took to build it. Yeah, gold is malleable, but that's still a rough project for Indeed. those 650 dead people. That's right. And they were warriors, too, not artisans. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Rough hands. No finesse. Quite so. <laughs> There's a moment right after Luffy emerges from the snake and he sees like literally half of his crew taken out along with Ganfer and uh, that guy with a bazooka as Luffy knows him. <laughs> um, although he doesn't like walk up to Chopper and see if Chopper's okay. He mostly focuses on Zoro and then uh, Robin when she makes a noise. Um, well, Chopper's primarily emergency food. So what Anaru's really done is just cut the cooking process out of the deal mm, and mm. Uh, <laughs> just made things slightly easier on Luffy. But uh, yeah, he sees Zoro there and he's like, man, must have been really rough out here if they took you down too. Uh, that at least drove his... Uh, concern about the current level of threat up through the yeah roof. I'm... he he doesn't really 
seem that worried at this point. He gets more angry, I guess, after he talks to Robin, but he he didn't react exactly how I expected. But, you know, whatever, it still all works out. Indeed, it certainly does. Made their way on up there. Easy peasy. Oh, yeah, just uh, making a quick trip. <laughs> <sighs> so this leads to a character that is so strange that I'm not even sure I want to talk about him. Do you have any guesses who I'm referring to, Thomas? Uh, the White Beret guy. Yep, Captain McKinley. <laughs> what is so strange about him? Just at at the very end, Oda seems to be trying to paint him in a good light. Like, oh, I was just listening to Enaru to try to protect everyone and all that. And yeah, I, I get that you can't try to overthrow Enaru, but I don't know. This dude didn't feel like he needed a redemption in my <laughs> eyes. But here we are. <laughs> I suppose, I mean, clearly some sort of organization was necessary as far as like the con in the contents of the story to try and evacuate these people. So it made sense for Oda to try and like write a way for the white berets to be that authoritative force to encourage people to leave. And in order to do that, you kind of got to write a reason for them to want to do so when they've been painted up until now as strictly loyal to the god right but it wasn't even the white berets that like convinced everyone to leave they helped sort of organize it but yeah it was conus just being like hey enru i don't believe in you that's what made everyone freak out and leave you know that's true, but not everybody saw that, for starters. Right. Uh, and, you know, Skypea is, like, a country, basically. We only see, like, a small bit of it in, like, the city that they shove off from with the, well, the okay. bird boat. Sure. Uh, th fine. Then you, you can have that point. Then why make them be such buttholes at the start? <laughs> uh, like, if I they're really trying to help, there. then... Like, why would they immediately pile so many, uh, whatever, tickets, basically, on mm -hmm. the Straw Hats that they immediately got bumped up to, like, you know, the death chair? Uh, I, just, my, it, I don't it, have a justification for that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel good to me. You can't have them be both sides of the coin, I guess. Agreed. Or, you know, you can, but you have to, like, build to it and make it be meaningful. This felt less so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's the White Beret talk. Back to <laughs> Luffy. Uh, he finally meets up with Enaru face-to-face, -face, giving the self-proclaimed god a few shocks of his own. <laughs> the shock of his life from the looks of things. <laughs> yeah, but then also followed by another shock of being hit in the gut. Yeah. It's been a rough day. It's just one thing after another, right, <laughs> dude? I said it's been a rough day, but it really, up until then, was going pretty good for Enaru. So, <laughs> yeah, things went south real fast. Yeah, they did. He went from one-shotting everybody except for Kinda Zoro. He like did a quick shock with his swords, and then head with a big blast later. Um, but aside from That's him, 
No one's taken more than one from this guy, and Luffy is immune to all of them. So yeah, and that's that's probably been true for like his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he probably has a small existential crisis right there, and I don't and blame it him. Shows in his face. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the the two of them actually go back and forth for quite a while in this match. They counter each other with new moves and thinking, or well, in Luffy's case, not thinking on their feet. I just think it's really good. These two are pretty used to handling anyone that comes up against them. Luffy obviously has struggled with a number of people, but those are also usually pretty extraordinary people in their own right. So, like, it just, it's neat to see them innovating during the fight, you know? Yeah. And in in most shonen conflicts... The intrigue, like generally speaking, is that both parties are throwing everything they got, all their all their best powers at the other guy in an effort to put him down. But in this one, both parties are fighting with a pretty big handicap. Like Enaru's biggest weapon is his big old lightning blasts, right? And they don't affect Luffy, can't use them. Meanwhile, Luffy is very used to having to like go in guns slash arms blazing. With as many attacks as he can get in, his brawler style. Uh, and with Enaru's mantra, he can't really do that either. So he has to innovate and find new ways of fighting and hitting this guy. Yeah. Not very common for this type of battle. I also love this. The, the There's one moment where um, Luffy like first does the Gatling move. And... Mm-hmm. And Rue just catches his arms and he says, You're they're not actually multiplying. And that's a good reminder to everyone that Indeed. it's just not what happens. Yep. Luffy is not a wizard. Uh, just very fast, stretchy punches. Mm-hmm. So it cuts back to the Skypeans fleeing throughout this conflict, if I'm remembering correctly. I bring this up for one reason and one reason only. And that's because in the shots of them running away, one person sees the arc and claims, that's impossible, ships don't fly, (laughs) while they've lived their whole life on a cloud. And, like, they they know that that's not exactly normal, right? Like, they know about the Blue Sea and all that. Um, They know that they are the statistical anomaly, and yet this dude has the audacity to say that. He's right. Like it's 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 weird. They don't usually fly, but to say that that's impossible when you have all of this stuff, like Enaru makes the arc fly with dials. If you're telling me that no one else thought to put dials on something to make like a hoverboard type deal, you're wrong. Like <laughs> a, a a teenager would do that in their garage, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. That second point definitely true. Um, and your first point probably is too. But I don't think it's impossible to imagine that the average Skypean perhaps does not know the extent of like the the difference of the scale of the world between the White Sea and the Blue Sea, because the only information they're getting is from like random passerbys and maybe occasionally a intact book might 
blast up from down there. Um, so to them, like maybe the reality of the worlds and norms, you know, is Skypea and to them a like flying ship would still be strange, but I don't know. That might but be they know pushing it. They know <laughs> that people have come from the blue sea, which is below them, mm-hmm. up to them. Whether that's in the past or now, like I feel like that's pretty general knowledge. Uh, so sure, like, but if you lived your entire life in the sky and that was just normal to you, um, I don't know. Maybe this is nothing, but I just all I'm saying is that there has to have been a way for those ships to get from below to up above. Mm-hmm. So, like the the base concept of a flying ship shouldn't be too far away mm-hmm. from being extrapolated from that right yeah i suppose that's my main argument it's one line that i decided i wanted to go in on <laughs> but uh that's the mood that i'm in today sorry everyone yeah fuck that one skypean in particular yeah i love <laughs> this whole arc it is one of my favorites no doubt but uh i also try not to be extremely biased so i do want to want to you know treat everything fairly that's shameful of you but i accept it all the same <laughs> purely ridiculous i know blasphemous even <laughs> eh, whatever so i want to talk about anaru trapping luffy's arm in the ball of gold that's kind of how he you know puts a button on the first half first bit first bout of their match mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Luffy's arm just come out of it after it stretched and thinned out? Um, I would think that it's like, well, hmm. If, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the way I always imagined it, it was like perfectly like formed around his arm. But it's probably not like sticky. (laughs) <laughs> or like welded to it or anything mm-hmm. unless it is i don't know um, i don't think so i don't think that's how it works i i was trying to look into it a bit more while i was reading um and i'm not sure if oda like necessarily thought about this but um Enaru does like attach the gold ball while luffy's arm is stretched out to attack it's definitely not as stretched out as it would be when he like kicks it over the edge of the arc. Um, but you, I guess you could argue that it started somewhat thinned out. He put the gold on it and then like, it just couldn't stretch enough to pop it out. But I feel like yeah. pretty much any amount of stretching would provide enough space that it could just, just free itself. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Maybe it's like a Chinese finger trap where Luffy's <laughs> just like got his hand balled up, so he he's got his muscles tensed, so it won't relax. Uh, that's confirmed, actually. One hundred percent the way that it is. It's the Solve only the way it makes sense. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Usopp joins the battle unknowingly, buying Sanji enough time with all of his antics, which leads to one of my favorite Sanji moments, personally. 
mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. he tells Enaru to drop dead and then falls over possibly <laughs> dead himself. But just a, a very good moment for Sanji where he gets to do more of his like behind the scenes really messing up people's plans stuff. Indeed. And if that was like planned by Usopp and Sanji while they were climbing, it was very well executed. Worked I don't out very think well it was. <laughs> well, even if it wasn't, I mean, it still worked out very well. Oh, Sanji it did. goes inside, bangs up the ship real hardcore, gets back out in time to help secure Usopp and Nami's escape. But it's only a fake-out escape. Usopp gets back on that sucker with his apparently very useful grappling hook that he's been using <laughs> like 30 times in this arc alone and we never uh-huh. see it again. To retrieve Sanji's uh, recently fried-up corpse. Feels good. I liked that moment, even though I had to go back and read it twice. Because they don't actually, like... Well, they show Usopp doing his Usopp hop off. But, uh... <laughs> It's so zoomed out in that panel that I was like, what is going on? And then I put two and two together. You just wanted to see a zoom in up close shot of the Usopp hop. That's all. I would have loved that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, they don't show them making this plan. So I don't think that it was planned, especially since when Usopp arrives, he's like, wait, Sanji's not here yet, which could be part of the, the ploy for sure. I just personally don't read it that way. At the very least, some of it must have been planned because they were climbing side by side. So when they got to the top, they must have split up for Sanji to go off and do his thing and Usopp to arrive where he went. So at the very least, it seems like Sanji going around and banging up stuff was part of the stratagem. Maybe Usopp also did that to a certain extent as well. But, uh, yeah. It almost out. seems like a role more fitting for Usopp as like the the engineer of the crew to mess with the inner workings. But when all you need to do is break stuff, Sanji will work just <laughs> fine. Indeed. And just speculating here, but Usopp served as a pretty good distraction to Enaru, whereas Sanji, the way Sanji fights, uh, perhaps Enaru would have been more inclined to just zap him and finish him off where he felt safer playing around with Usopp a little bit. You know? Uh, I mean, I know what you're saying because we are on the outside looking in, but from Enaru's perspective, he just showed up and like touched both of these dudes and they were done. So they're probably about equivalent to him, you know? Like I, you, you were saying that Enaru saw Usopp differently and I just don't think that he would. Yeah, because they've already met before, and Sanji didn't do any better than Usopp. I mean, it was off-screen, so we don't know that for sure, but it seems that way. Yeah, fairly safe to assume. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Usopp definitely has a more uh, avoidant fighting style, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Sanji is, is more direct conflict and would have been taken out quicker. So, like, for the story, it had to be this way. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't know why Anaru decided to take his time with that. It seems like he should have been pretty mad that they were alive because <laughs> that's also messing with his prediction. Even though uh, that's already that's been true. ruined. 
Because yeah. he, he did set a time limit for that, right? He did. Yeah, so I guess whatever. Um, he's been wrong the whole time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, That's what happens when your earlobes are long. Let that be a lesson to you listeners at home. Don't have long earlobes. You'll end up like Enaru, beaten up by a rubber man with a big gold bar at the end of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't even get to have the gold bar at the end. That's right. <laughs> uh, speaking of the end, at the end of 286, there's a flashback that starts, but I figure we'll just cover that next time. So uh, this is pretty much all I got for notes. Uh, same for me. Um, covered most of my stuff as we went. I do have a brief list of jazz that happened. Um, didn't start making this list until pretty close to the end, so I may have missed some. Uh, but that's all right. First one I have is Sanji being like outwardly willing to sacrifice Usopp for Nami's sake, saying it directly <laughs> to his face. Uh, it's a sacrificing I'm willing you to make. Exactly. That's classic Sanji stuff right there. Uh, Usopp showing up, uh, shooting a explosive at Enaru. Enaru blots it. Usopp immediately apologizing and then closing the door behind him. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, uh, Sanji's not here yet? Bye. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean it. Uh, very good. Um, and then also during that same conflict, uh, Usopp like dodges a lightning blast and Oda draws his like one panel front <laughs> somersault <laughs> where he bots his head on the railing of the arc. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it's gonna be an Olympic style landing, ten out of ten, and then just complete face destruction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he's still got the lump on his head for a few panels after that. That's continuity, yep. Oda. That's the good <laughs> stuff. Um but yeah, like I said, I didn't start making note of those until the end of the That's okay. Year, those so. those are the main ones that come to my mind anyway. So Indeed. Uh, if anyone wants all of the comedy, read the chapters. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up for us for this week then. Like I said before, doesn't seem like there's a break next week. Should be a new release on August 28th. Feel free to send in your thoughts of the new chapter via email to inheritedwillpodcasts at gmail.com on Twitter to inherited underscore will, or simply in a comment on the YouTube video if you'd prefer to do it that way. Uh, That's all from us for this week. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.